So in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4, we read, Now there are varying, there are, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Okay, so let's see what he says there. There are different types of gifts. There's different types of ministries, right? So there's different types of gifts God gives to each one of us, maybe differently than to our neighbor. There's different types of ministries. We understand that some of us are more, uh, more like an evangelist and others are more like an apostle and others might be more of a teacher. So there's different types of gifts and different types of ministries, but the same spirit and it's the same Lord. Then he says, there are varying types of effects. So when we minister to others, the effects or the outworking of the ministry isn't always the same way. So even though I might have a gift, a gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift of healing, I might pray for someone and they might not get healed instantly. Their experience might be different. Where then if my neighbor or my friend or my brother or sister in Christ prays for somebody who's gifted the same way, their experience, the outworking of that gift might be a totally different viewpoint, maybe a totally different experience than the other person who prayed. There's different types of gifts, different types of effects, but all the same God, because he works all of these things out in every one of us. So every one of us has the opportunity, all through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, to have these gifts working in our life to a real degree, to a real level. So what are the spiritual gifts for? What's the purpose? Well, we're gonna go over them here in just a second, but I would say they are tools to build up the church. They're tools in our toolbox. They're tools in our arsenal to help build up the church, to help us grow and mature and to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, to help us become who God's called us to be. There are gifts, these gift sets that become the tools in our toolbox. Just like we need many tools to build a building, you need a hammer, you need a saw, you might need a compound miter saw to cut complex angles. You need drill guns, you need all these different types of tools to build what we have here. The same thing is true for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are tools used to build what God has called us to build and that is his church. So I want you to hit, skip down to verse seven. Verse seven is the one verse that kicks my butt every time. It's the one verse that we really need to focus on. It says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. There's a reason that the Holy Spirit is manifesting in us and through us. It's for the common good. There's a reason that we have the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life in a real way. It's literally for the common good. It says, and the, th the theme there of 1 Corinthians 12 and seven is all the gifts, right? Any gift that we could run across, any gift that we could discuss, the purpose of it really is the common good. So we're built up through these tools for the common good. God's dispersing the gifts to people, to us, to folks, to every average, everyday, average, ordinary Christians. He's dispensing these gifts through different ministries and the outcome is different for each and every person. They're not always following the same set pattern, okay? So we have to understand it's very diverse in what we're being called to. As a, as a general survey of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we understand that we are weak and that we lack and that we have needs. The gifts are sovereignly given to build us up, to build up the church, to minister to us. Spiritual gifts are offered to enhance our Christ-likeness, 
Spiritual gifts are given to us to flow through us, to make us more like Jesus. Spiritual gifts are given through the body and for us to receive for us to be more like Jesus. So there's this kind of this cycle that happens where the more we are investing our lives in spiritual gifts, the more we're being made into the image and likeness of Christ, and the more we're advancing in our life and we're experiencing gifts through someone else, the more we're being made into the image and likeness of Jesus. So it's kind of a, a cycle that God puts us on. Spiritual gifts are not a Christian sideshow. Spiritual gifts are not a, hey, come look and see what's going on down the street. It's not a thing where we parade the gift in front of people as a, as a way to just show off and to show out. Oh, look at that, these miracles are happening, or signs or wonders, or the Holy Spirit's manifesting and moving. Of course he is, he should be in every believer every day of our lives. This shouldn't be something that we relegate to some sideshow and that's, that's some dog and pony show where we pull people in to maybe get a tug at their wallet. The point of the spiritual gifts are to build up, to edify the common good, the common good meaning all of us here together. So spiritual gifts are an essential tool for the process in our sanctification. The more we wanna become like Jesus, the more we have to reference the spiritual gifts. They're essential for building one another up, they're essential for equipping believers to be more effective in our ministry one to another. See, the fact is the spiritual gifts force us to be interdependent one to another. They force us to be interdependent. I can't honestly, as, as just as, as broken as I am as a human person, without the spiritual gifts, without the Holy Spirit at work inside of me, I can't be compassionate enough to really care about your issue. I know you're like, that's not good for a pastor to say. Like, you don't care about us? Well, I do, I love you all, but I have enough issues in my own life at times that without the motivation of the Holy Spirit, I don't know that I have enough compassion or care within me to stretch that any further. And I know you're the same way. There are times where life hits you hard and without being motivated of the Holy Spirit, you're not sure that you can take on another load. You're not sure that you can take on another project. You're not sure if you can really care enough to affect someone's life. That's where the spirit steps in. That's where these gifts step in and become a launching pad for our life. Excuse me. This dry air, it's not, it's not allergies anymore. It's just the dry air. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse eight through 11. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Now here's the list that is commonly referred to as the collective of the spiritual gifts. We're gonna talk about how there's more than just what's listed here, but this is kind of where people park the plane and they say, okay, if we're gonna believe in the spiritual gifts, this is what we're talking about. So let's go through those. Verse eight, it says, to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the same spirit, to another miraculous powers, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing between spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another interpretation of tongues. All of these are at work in the one and the same spirit, and he has distributed them each one just as he determines. Okay, so we have an understanding there. The gifts are given in varying degrees, as we read before. They're given for a purpose to build up, to, for the common good of God's people. 
But he also says there that they're sovereign, that God gives them as he lead, as he's led, as, as he's motivating in our heart, that God gives them as he's leading each and, individu- each and every individual person. We can go on to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28, where Paul actually adds help and administration to the gifts of the Spirit. We could go to Roman, Romans chapter 12, where Paul also mentions leadership and service as a spiritual gift. A functional list of the New Testament, and we would find that there are probably around 19 to 20 spiritual gifts listed. Okay, so a real, true, honest, functional assessment of the New Testament, we can understand that not all the gifts are caught up in verses 8 through 11. That verses 8 through 11 are just a highlight of some of the spiritual gifts and some of the spiritual gifts that we are to chase after, but they're really just a highlight. That there's a word of wisdom, that there's a word of knowledge, there's faith, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits or understanding of different spirits, that there's uh, um, tongues and interpretation of tongues. See, the point is that the gospel writers, he's writing out, Paul's writing out this idea, there's spiritual gifts. I wanna lay down some that you have been very familiar with. This church was very familiar with some of these gifts. And he lays out others so that we would have an understanding that they're, they're not just all inclusive right here in this list. In fact, do we understand that the New Testament doesn't give a definitive list for all the spiritual gifts? We can't go through the New Testament and say that these are the only gifts, the 19 or 20 that are listed, that these are the only gifts that, that God could give. No, he could give in many different ways. In fact, he could give gifts that we're not even in full understanding of or don't have a total scriptural reference. But if he does, we need to be careful that they were not creating new categories of gifts, that these gifts have to align with and be grounded in the New Testament. Any gift that's not mentioned that we believe we might receive from God, like maybe you have this, this, this distinct gift from motivation from the Holy Spirit and you see a, a dream when you're sleeping and you feel insight into other people's lives and you feel that you need to speak that to them the next time you see them. That might be, you might just collectivize that and say that's a gift of prophecy or word of knowledge or word of wisdom. And it might be something new entirely that God's doing in your life. But however you categorize it, the point is that it has to come under the guidelines of the New Testament and that it has to be something that confers with or or, or is affirmed in the New Testament and New Testament guidelines. So. Spiritual gifts, as we learned, and we've learned throughout the last couple, couple of weeks, spiritual gifts are the Holy Spirit. They are the Holy Spirit appearing in varying degrees of manifestation in and through the life and ministry of the believer. Let me read that again. Spiritual gifts are the Holy Spirit appearing in varying degrees and manifestations in and through the life and ministry of the believer. So the gift is not like the end result. The gift is just the byproduct of the Holy Spirit working through you. The gift is not something that we say, okay, this gift is in operation in my life. I I feel the word of wisdom in operation. So there I I am a a wise operator. I don't know what you call a, a person who operates in wisdom. And we just label ourselves as a prophet or a healer. No, no, no. That's the Holy Spirit manifesting his presence through you. It doesn't give you a title. It gives you the opportunity to express the spirit through your person, that he becomes the guidepost in all of these things. So the gifts are the spirit himself. The gift is the spirit himself working through us, working through broken, struggling, weak people, 
The Holy Spirit is putting himself on display. The person who's operating in the gift is not on display. The person who's, who's moving in the gift is not on display. It's not about the person and their holy hands. It's not about the person and how well they speak. It's not about the person, how much they energize or, or jazz up the congregation. The fact is, is that it is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through us that causes these gifts to be an operation in our life. And he works through broken and insufficient and ill-finding people all the time. He works through just common everyday people. That's how he started this mission of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So why does Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 major on two things? He majors on tongues and prophecy. And last week we talked about tongues. I don't have time to get into that, but I do want to kind of use prophecy as our example for today on how and why these gifts should be the motivation of our heart. So, prof, uh, so as we're reading through 1 Corinthians and especially uh, through chapter 14, we have to understand who Paul is talking to. This letter is actually being written to people who excelled in spiritual gifts. Those, these were folks who excelled in every single spiritual gift. They had healing at work. They had a word of wisdom at work. They had words of knowledge. They had prophecy. <coughs> Excuse me. They had prophecy, they had tongues, interpretation of tongues. These folks had every gift that you could possibly imagine at work in their church, and they were proud of it, they knew it. And because they had these gifts in manifestation, because they were operating in these gifts consistently, there's something about the church that got a little carnal, got a little off, got a little wacky, got a little too much. And Paul actually rebukes them, and he says, because of your self-aggrandizement, I've got to bring you into proper order. I've got to bring you back into proper context. And I've got to show you what these gifts are truly about. So why does he emphasize prophecy? Well, first let's define prophecy. Prophecy defined as God speaking in human words what God has brought to our mind. So here's the basic idea. God speaks in a human language, in a known language in, that we can understand in our head. He speaks it to us in our mind and our heart. And that becomes prophetic when we give it to the person it's intended for. Maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's a specific person, but prophecy is not necessarily the world's gonna end in 20 days. That could be prophetic, probably craziness at this point, but it could be prophetic. But the idea isn't that prophecy is all wrapped up in these big grand statements that, that, that this is gonna happen on a national level or that's gonna happen on a national level. Prophecy isn't necessarily just a pastor standing in front of a people saying, thus saith the Lord. In fact, when we read through the New Testament, anyone that grabs a microphone and says, you have to hear me, listen to me, this is the voice of God, thus saith the Lord God, you probably should run. Because generally, that's someone showing off. They're not doing what the scripture says. They're not doing what Paul says and to make this about a benefit for the body and for the individual. So if you have your Bibles again, 1 Corinthians 14 and 29, he says this, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. That anytime there's a prophetic word that would come up, that those who would prophesy, those who would be gifted in that area, that they would judge it. So they would judge the word as if it is uplifting. Is it something beneficial? Is it something that's actually going to uplift and build up the people that are being spoken to? Or are these just 
crazy words that are thrown out there and someone's hoping to connect. 1 Corinthians 14 and 30 and 31 says it this way. And if a revelation or a prophetic word comes to someone who is seated, the first speaker should hold his peace. And for all who prophesy in turn, or for all can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. That there's a pattern that Paul sets, right? So if we're gonna be motivated in this gift, and I'm, and I'm, I'm focusing on this gift for a reason. If, if we're to be motivated in this gift of prophecy, that we should first learn order, that we're not just supposed to all speak out at random. See, because right now what could be happening while someone's preaching like myself or another pastor is God could be depositing into your life right now words and phrases. He could be depositing in your heart right now something to speak and to speak out. And you could think, well, it, it's the right time. God's moving in my heart. I've got to do it. I've got to say it. And then you pop up and you start speaking. And the person next to you, feels the same way and they pop up and they start speaking and a person in the back does it and they start speaking and then it just becomes this noise that no one can really understand. Yet the Bible does say that we're supposed to not despise prophecy, but we're supposed to go after it. It's actually supposed to be a, a gift that we seek after fervently. We should seek all the gifts fervently, but he actually focuses on prophecy and says, go after that one, because it's a good one. And the reason it's a good one is because that it motivates us to this point where we understand, we feel the voice and the presence of God at work within us. We understand that it becomes his person manifesting in physical form through us to others. And we get that connection going, and then we can move into other gifts. And then we can move on into other areas where God is moving and manifesting and showing his presence. It's the, it's the one that's probably the least scary of all the gifts. Even if I told you you were spiritually gifted of administration, you might look at me and say, well, what if I goof up and my administrative efforts don't work out too well? Did God really gift me? Well, yes, you can screw up and God will gift you. But in prophecy, because God put such a hard line of judgment around it from others, he says, I don't want you doing this alone. I want you to be judged when it becomes something new in your life. It keeps the boundaries in so we can learn how to practice and move in what God has called us to. So it works like this in my own life. When I was younger, uh, we were studying these things out in college and I had a professor who was from Australia and I can't remember exactly where from Australia, but this old pastor from Australia, he was like 80 some years old. He was old when I had him as a professor. I doubt he's there anymore. But he started talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and particularly prophecy. And he went through a list really similar to what I did today. And he said, okay, we're all gonna get up and I want you to start prophesying. I thought, this, this guy's cuckoo. He's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like God's not gonna tell me just in the middle of a class to start prophesying to somebody. This is craziness. Let's get out of class. Let's get this done. And he comes down to, to me in my row and he says, well, God, what is God speaking to you? And at first I wanted to say, I don't know. And then literally like, it was like a lightning bolt to my chest. I started going, oh, good Lord. I do have thoughts in my head that are definitely not mine. I wasn't thinking this a second ago and I don't know, but I think God's saying this. And I started to speak and it was just something general. And then he went on to the next person. And by the time we got done, he kind of wrote down the highlights and compiled it all together. God had literally been speaking through five people, all, literally the same thing. And, and you could say, well, by the time they got to the fifth person, of course, of course they understood what the other person was saying, except the people that were farther down the line had written theirs out and given them to them, to the professor uh, at the end of the exercise. 
The point was that you're not gonna feel like you're ready. The point was that you're not gonna feel like you have it all together. The point was you're gonna feel like this is new and you're a noob and you don't know how this works. But the point was that you get around people who can encourage you and help you in this gift and they'll judge as you're moving forward, just like baby steps. And we judge those babies with their steps, right? We go behind them, we say, honey, take the right foot and put it in front of the left foot. Don't drag your toes. Try to make a full and, and firm plant of your foot. We teach children how to move forward, not in a judgmental way, but we're judging the steps. The same thing's true with prophecy. The reason he teaches us that this is where we should probably start is because it opens up the world to the other gifts. It opens up the way to the other gifts. So, so why is prophecy emphasized? Why? Because, it, I, because, because it's probably that open door to the other gifts. First Thessalonians 5 and 20 says, do not extinguish the spirit and do not treat prophecy with contempt. That we're told that we're not to, to treat prophecy in contempt, that people will say things and they'll sound stupid and foolish because they're just trying to, to work up to the place where they really feel the motivation of God. They're not sure, they're unsure at times. We're not supposed to treat those moments with contempt. And again, as we read earlier, God works in all of us, all of these gifts and ministries to varying degrees and that the outcomes vary from person to person. So one moment you might be right on with your outcome and it might be perfect and God spoke directly to the heart of an individual and you may go on to the next person and you're shaking in your boots because you're not really feeling it and you don't really know what to say. It doesn't mean that God isn't still in the mix because the outcomes vary and they're based on his sovereign act and will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse eight through 11, the verse we read before. And to one is given through the spirit, a message of wisdom and to another, a message of knowledge and to another, the same spirit and to another by faith or faith by the same spirit and to another healing by that one spirit and to another miraculous powers and to another prophecy and to another distinguishing spirits and to another different kind of tongues and still to another interpretation of tongues. And all of these work of one and the same spirit, and he is distributing them to each one just as he determines. So we need to go back to this idea that if we, if we use prophecy as our example, we jump into the pool, right? And we know that there are multiple gifts, even gifts that aren't listed here, but the reason that they're highlighted is because they're supernatural. You could operate in the area of leadership or service and it not feel real supernatural, but it's really hard to operate in a gift of healing and it not be totally supernatural. You come up and pray for somebody who's sick and destitute and hurting and healing happens. It has to be because the presence of God was real and manifest and direct in their life. Because if it's not, nothing's gonna happen. You can pray for them all day, every day and nothing's gonna happen if God ain't showing up. We can also speak with a word of knowledge and we can speak become from our own head knowledge and hope that we're helping in, in that intersect of somebody's problem and the cross, somebody's problem and the way that God would like to take them. We can hope by our own knowledge that we can help their situation, or we can rely on a word of knowledge that supersedes the information that we have, that supersedes our own abilities, and that in that moment, heaven literally touches their problem and there's a solution found. See, these gifts are practical and they're everyday. What's happened in the body of Christ is we've taken the gifts 
And we've said, if you function in healing, you should go to that church. If you function or motivated in faith, then you should go to this church. If you're functioning and motivated through the gift of prophecy, there's a different church for you. And if you're functioning in the gift of teaching, well, then you probably should go to a Baptist church because they do a lot of teaching. And we've segmented the body of Christ out all over the Quad Cities, all over the world. We've segmented the body of Christ out this way when we're supposed to be all under one roof. We're supposed to have brothers and sisters under one roof that prophesy, that have a gift of healing, that have a gift of faith, that have a gift of the word of knowledge, that have a gift of, 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 of tongues and interpretation of tongues. We're supposed to have all of these gifts under one roof, for what reason? So that we become interdependent on one another. So that when I need a healing, I know who to go to. There are people in our church, they're gifted, that God works with them and flows with them in healing, I'm going there. That when there's something in my life, there's, there's a crossroads that I can't seem to get over, that I need to go to the folks who operate in supernatural, Holy Ghost-filled wisdom. Wisdom, a word of wisdom, so that they can speak to my life and that I can get over this impasse. That there are others that when you come in and you're dejected and you feel down and you feel hurt, that you can come and you can have folks pray over you with a gift of prophecy and speak to your heartburn, speak to your issue, and that God can heal those broken places of your life. See, the issue is that we have dispersed the gifts, and I think it's one of the biggest tools of the devil, right? Disperse the gifts over many and different and varied churches and denominations rather than bringing them collectively under one roof. Because what would a church look like if all the gifts were in operation all the time and you knew no matter what faced you in life, you could come to your church, your body of believers, and there would be someone with an answer. What would it look like if this church was so filled with the Spirit of God that we could say, listen, we have answers and it's not always the pastor, it's not always the leadership team. Sometimes it's Joe Blow, nobody next to you who operates in a gift that you need that you need, because this is the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, that we would be so interconnected, so interdependent, that we would have to rely on each other. And again, we can go back to that verse seven. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. First Corinthians 12 and verse seven. But, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The whole reason that the gifts are in manifestation, the whole reason the gifts are in operation is for the common good. That you and I would find a place to come, to be developed, to be grown up, to mature, to be more and more like Jesus because the gifts are in operation. This is a vision that the church has. Not just this church, but all churches, I would hope. This is a vision that I think all pastors carry somewhere in their heart. Because what happens in most churches and pastors are guilty of making this happen, so I'm gonna blame myself. But what happens is the pastor or pastoral leadership is looked to as the only place for the answers. That if you want the answer to your problem, you better come to the pastor or at least come up to the prayer team. Rather than understanding, there are folks sitting next to you that are gifted of God that could literally change the scope of your life forever because of what God's gifted them with. And here's the secret. You keep looking around like, who's gifted? You're gifted. You're gifted for that person next to you. You're the gift that God set in this church for the people around you. 
You're the gift. You carry within you a gift that somebody needs. Our goal is to get so connected with the voice of God, so in tune with him that it comes out and it manifests, that the Holy Spirit just bursts through us. Every time I speak this way, I know it's a stupid analogy, but I think of the old alien movie and he just kind of, right? That the Holy Spirit wants to just burst through us and come alive in us. And I know it's a bad thing. We're getting into Halloween, so it's a good analogy for now. But that the Holy Spirit is like that inside of us, that we, that we want that moment where he just comes through, where he just bursts through in the scene in our life and he affects the life of our neighbor. He affects the life of those around us. He affects the life of those that we care for and love. Amen. And it doesn't happen because we get out of the way and, and we just aren't a part of the game. It happens because we are all in. It happens because we look to our church, not only as a place where we are fed, but as a place where we can feed. As for the spiritual gifts, we need to be open, but biblical. We need to be biblical to what God is doing in the spiritual gifts. Even if you say that there's an undefined gift that you flow in and that you operate in, it needs to line up with biblical merit. We need to keep our finger on the text. What's the purpose for how and why God has gifted you? What's the purpose <coughs> for how and why God has gifted your life? Excuse me. You know, Lori and I had the opportunity to serve teenagers for a long time. And we were serving in a church in Pittsburgh. And unfortunately in that church, we had a couple tragedies. We had back-to-back uh, -back suicides. They were within about two weeks apart. And the first young girl that, that committed suicide, it was, one of the most trying events of my life, to go to that house and mom and dad had just moved her, her lifeless body to the bed and they're waiting for the coroners to come and they're absolutely distraught. They are just beside themselves as any parent would be. And you walk in and you don't know what words to say. There's nothing I can say in that moment that's gonna make you feel any better. There's nothing I can say in that moment that's gonna bring absolute comfort there's nothing in my head or in my heart that right at that moment I felt like I should even be there, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And we sat with them and we prayed. And I remember in that moment of prayer, the Holy Spirit saying, you need to take this instance to your youth group because you don't understand how many other kids are dealing with this. And it was prophetic. And I thought, well, God, you know, we, we have good services. We don't like to bring these heavy issues. We like to have upbeat and fun services. We want the kids leaving, feeling like they're all pumped up and full of energy. I don't know how I'm gonna do that. I'm, I'm gonna bring the service down. He said, I don't care, you need to do it. So the next week we had service and, and I started talking and sharing about this family story and this young girl's story. And halfway through, God really kicked my butt and he said, you're not doing what I asked, be point blank with them. Tell them what the hurt is. Tell them what the pain is. Let them know that if they're feeling that same thing, they can come and get ministry. And so I, I opened it up and I said, you know, I, I've got to stop the service in the track that we're going. And, and I know there's some of you that are hurting. And I know there's some of you that feel the same way this young girl did. And, and you need to come forward and we need to pray with you. And about 40% of the group came forward. And I was astonished that that many of them would come forward. And we prayed and we talked and we prayed and we talked. And now you could say, well, that wasn't, that wasn't Holy Spirit motivated. That wasn't, that wasn't supernatural. That wasn't prophetic. That's just a tragedy. And, and, and you, you felt the, the heartbeat of the students and obviously they would come forward. 
I thought the same thing for a while. A couple weeks go by and I hear one story after another of how students came and said, you don't understand, I was in the same place mentally. I was in the same place emotionally and, and that, 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 that service that we had, it just, it, it broke the door open so I, I don't have to go down that road. And then Taylor's best friend, the young girl who committed suicide was named Taylor and her best friend wrote a short article for a magazine about suicide, teen suicide. And she referenced that one event, that one service as to why she wouldn't go down the same road, as to why she knew that there would be always be help and be an answer. And from that one article, I knew that God spoke. I knew that God spoke loudly. I knew that God spoke to his children. I knew that the words made a difference. I knew that the Holy Spirit was manifest in that moment. It wasn't because I was good. It wasn't because of the pastor swag. It wasn't because of the lights and the band. It was because the Holy Spirit was on display speaking to his people. This is what we're chasing in the spiritual gifts. I don't have time to define all of them, but I do want to emphasize the idea that when you get involved in this process, when you get involved with the Holy Spirit being manifest in your life to the degree that the gifts are on display, when that happens, when that happens, it's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit showing up and showing off on our behalf. I wanna encourage you, if you've never studied the gifts of the Holy Spirit, go get Sam Storm's book, Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. It will change your life. It will help in a dramatic way. And if you need other reading material, I'll get you that as well. You can come and talk to me and discuss it with me. But over the next few months into 2019, we're gonna talk about this a little more. In fact, I'm gonna define the gifts even more in 2019. Today we just, and over the last couple of weeks, we kind of generically talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. We emphasized two specific gifts and we talked about an overriding concept. But as we move forward, I want to help define the gifts and their operation in a greater degree because I want this church, not the pulpit, not just ministry teams, but the church to be Holy Spirit led so that you know that where you're sitting, that you know that you are an operative for the Holy Spirit, that you know that the Holy Spirit can manifest through you, that you know that you are a tangible conduit for the presence of God for somebody's life in this church and in this community. We wanna take this model that's being talked about in Corinthians and make it real in our church life and then eventually go beyond these four walls. But the point of this is we have to have the groundwork set. We have to have a good baseline understanding so that we can get jazzed up, fired up, and know that we, are, that we are motivated of the Holy Spirit. This isn't so we can be some weird, crazy, kooky church where goofy things happen in a back room. This is so that we can honestly submit to the New Testament example of what it is to be a New Testament church, that we can be those who are empowered of the Holy Spirit at a supernatural level to connect with God and to minister to his people. So this is our charge. This is where we're going. And I'm excited for what God's doing because it will change the life of not just you, this church, but the community. Because what will it look like if in the Quad Cities there's one place you can go and you know that somebody's gonna be there with a word of wisdom if you need it, with a word of knowledge if you need it, with a prophecy if it's needed, with healing, if it's needed. What would the Quad Cities look like if they knew there was a church they could go to 
And all of these gifts were in operation. This is what we endeavor to be.